0: In the illegal street racing scene of the 1970s, Detroit, there was one car that ruled them all. The Black Ghost. This 1970 Dodge Hemi Challenger would appear only occasionally to race and then disappear into the night. Hence its nickname.
1: After they get done racing with each other, they would stop and they would shake hands. You know, that was part of the respect. Of, of racing in the racing community, and uh, my dad kind of didn't do that.
0: And that's because Gregory Qualls' dad, Godfrey Qualls, was in fact a cop. Today on the pod, we hear about a Detroit street racing legend and his son's mission to tell his story. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. After his dad's passing in 2015, Greg began to fix up the black ghost and quickly realized just how legendary his old man was. But Greg wasn't always someone who considered himself a car guy.
1: I never really liked working on cars, even though I did work on cars with my dad. Uh, From time to time, I just hated working on them. I loved driving them, though, but I really became a car guy um, once I started getting my dad's car together.
0: I guess it is every son's duty to, uh, if not blow up, at least have some disinterest in the things that parents are interested in. So maybe, <laughs> maybe that tracks a bit. <laughs> why is it that you? Do you know why you weren't into cars very much at first?
1: Um. Yeah. it's just, just, just the time to spend working on them uh, when things don't go right and changing the brakes. I used to help my dad change the brakes on the vehicles and cars and stuff. I think that's what it was it felt more like a chore <laughs> than anything
0: yeah um but I,
1: I was into rc car racing that i loved because uh i basically raced those
0: yeah but your dad was uh I, I i just i mean i guess i feel like was a car guy supreme do you mind telling us a bit about him
1: yeah my dad uh he was a pretty cool guy um uh, to me i mean he was my hero um he was a uh, good neighbor, good father, good grandfather. You know, he'd give you the shirt off his back if you needed it. And he was a a good friend, a, a well-liked guy.
0: Do you know who taught him how to work on cars?
1: Uh, yes, his father. His father, um, his father um, taught him. And my grandfather took my dad uh, to the Indianapolis 500 every year and uh my grandfather also worked at Dodge Truck. That was one of the reasons why they came up uh to Detroit from uh Nashville, Tennessee.
0: There was a time when he served on uh, in the Detroit Police Department. Was that his career for the whole of his adult life?
1: No, that was part of part of it. Um he he um joined the Detroit P- Police Department in 1970. And he retired in 2007. So he's on the the department for 37 years as a um, traffic enforcement motorcycle cop. Um, and But he also um, went in, back into the military because he was drafted in the military during the Vietnam War. And he was in Dominican Republic from 1964 to 1966. And that's how he ended up getting his Purple Heart. Mm. When he came out of the military, then he went to the police department. But then back in 77, um, he re enlisted into the National Guard as a reservist, uh, went back to training, went to, uh, he got his Green Beret um, training done, and he became Special Forces Green Beret as a reservist. And he did that, and he retired in 2002. So he's working the Detroit the Police Department and also the military as a reservist
0: so were you much aware of his racing days or or I mean do you remember him was the was the challenge or something that he would just drive around or was it something that he only took out for cruising purposes
1: um from when I was a kid from what I remember um, I've been in the car once with him, and that's the only thing I kind of remembered because uh, the car just sat in the garage covered up with horse blankets so the round about 79 or 80 is when i had a chance to ride in a car and he took the car out and i believe that was the last time he have ever had the car out i never knew about any of the stories about my dad's racing so i didn't find that out until later but as a kid once I was in the car my dad put a hundred dollar bill on the dash this is a good moment for me because I, I remember it well and he puts a $100 bill, he tapes it onto the dash, and he says, when I say go, if you can grab that $100 bill, then you can have it. So I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. This is going to be easy. Just grab the, the money, and it's mine. So he says go. I go out to reach it, and he hits the gas, and I go right back into the seat. And I almost fall out of the seat, and my gra- my dad grabs me. And, uh <laughs> yeah, I hate to say I never did get that $100 bill. But- <laughs> It it scared me. That's one thing I do remember. You know, I was a little guy then, but it, it really scared me. And it's just the, the four the full force of the car taking off and that power. It, it was it was pretty amazing.
0: I mean, I understand that it wasn't exactly dinner table conversation that he had this this life in racing. But yes. I mean, was was he a competitive guy? Were you surprised when you found that out about him?
1: Yeah, I was very surprised. So when I took the car out to the first uh, car show in Chicago, it's called the Muscle Car Corvette Nationals. People will come up to me and tell me, yeah, I remember this car. Your dad used to race this car. And that's how I found out. And I was in shock. I was like, my dad never told me about racing. And, you know, because my dad supported me in my racing as far as the RC car racing. But I understood why, you know, he, he's trying to, you know, you, you try to protect your family. And he didn't want me to get into the, the big car racing. And uh, I think the people that told me, they were just as amazed because they thought that the car didn't really exist. They just thought it was an urban legend. And like, yeah, people are making up the story and it, it does, it's not real. But once they found out it was real, they were just as amazed as me.
0: Tell us a little bit about what you've learned about what the street racing scene was like in the city back then.
1: Um, from from what I understood, um, it, it was a, a big group community. People got together. They would race each other. You know, um, people wrenched on their own cars. You know, they had good times and fun. And after they get done racing with each other, they would stop and they would shake hands. You know, that was part of the respect of of racing in that the racing community and uh my dad kind of didn't do that and i think a couple people may have felt that they got disrespected after he ghosted them because you know normally you would you would stop and say hi and but he couldn't let people know who he was
0: right i mean with that with that kind of thing at that time in detroit i wonder if he could have gotten kicked off the force for something like that
1: I mean, I really would think so um, because, you know, uh, I don't think they would, you know, be kindly to that.
0: Do you have a sense of how integrated the street racing scene was? I mean, were there many black guys like your dad who were involved?
1: I I believe it was a mix because uh, everyone loved to race. I think that when people were racing together, they uh, they bonded together. It was like a community, you know, with the car culture. It's. I don't think it's about the color at the, at that time. It's. It's. I believe it was about cars and what people did, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Is I never. You know. I wasn't around that time. I was just a little baby or kid during them times. But from what I hear, just from older gentlemen and um, people around that time say that it was a good time. People had good times and they they enjoyed each other.
0: Time to hit the brakes for a moment. We'll be back with more about the Black Ghost and its driver in just a minute. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from the University of Michigan's Go Blue Guarantee, committed to keeping a U of M undergraduate education within reach of all Michigan residents, regardless of socioeconomic status. Programs are available for all three campuses. More at goblueguarantee.umich.edu. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. What made you decide to get in the garage with, with the Challenger after your dad died?
1: So after my dad died, you know, my, my dad, uh, he never really talked much about the car. But I really wanted to know why he kept it. Well, you know, why he had the love for his car. Because, you know, he sold a lot of things. He sold a lot of his motorcycles that he had in the past. But for whatever reason, he was holding on to the car. And it just sat in the garage and was like, well, dad, you know, it's, a, it's just a car. You know, you should just get rid of it and sell it and, you know, have some extra money in your pocket. And he was like, no, no, I like my car. You know, I'm going to just I'm going to keep it for a while. And so that's what made me decide to. I really needed the car. And not only because of that is because I also missed my dad. And after he passed, it was really hard for me because I, I seen him declining with the cancer and um I wanted to know like what what was this why was this car special? What what you know and I wanted to really drive my dad's car. I think every son wants to be able to drive their dad's car, you know. So that was my mission. Um I really needed, you know, that support. It helped me in in grieving for my dad and uh it was it was a great thing for me. You know.
0: Yeah. What kind of work did it need?
1: So as far as the work that it needed, we had uh, all the rubber hoses on the car were like really stiff and hardened over time. Um, we had to make sure that the brakes were safe. The car, um, my, the way my dad raced it, he didn't have exhaust on it. So there was no resonators or mufflers on the car. So it was just right off the manifolds to the H-pipe and it was extremely loud. <laughs> so I said, no, we have to put some exhaust on this thing because I can't. starting up this car in the middle of the night my neighbors get mad at me and (laughs) um yeah so it just it was just basic things um like it needed you know a radiator because we had to replace the radiator and uh we changed out the oils and the the fluids and the transmission and the engines of the car and the rear axle and you know it was it was it was um minor things but um, I had to find parts and that was some of the reasons why it kind of took some time. Um, so from t- March of 2016, all the way to October of 2016 is when I f- finished. And that's when we were able to take the car out of the garage on its own power. And that was, that was really a sight for me. And I was like, yes, dad, we did it. We got the car running. And that was a, a great moment for me.
0: I know he would have been really happy to know that it was still that it was still functional and still out there and that you'd spent so much time and work on it. But I can't help but wonder if while you were installing the muffler, if if somewhere up there he was just shaking his head.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm not going to ask if you race this thing now, Greg, but do you take the car out much?
1: So, yeah, I, I used to. Um, so, because... I wanted to drive my dad's car. So between 2016 and around the beginning of 2020, I actually drove the car. I would drive around the neighborhood. My neighbor saw me pull the car out. I would just... You know, grab my family. We would go up to the ice cream shop and get some ice cream. Me and my son would drive around the block doing 20, 30 miles an hour just to enjoy the car. And we'd go up to some local car shows that were close by and enjoy the people there and have good conversations with them. Because, you know, that was part of my bonding with the car and just the memories, those good memories I had with my dad. And I always felt his presence with me whenever I drove the car.
0: Yeah. Not only is this a really classic Challenger, it's also uh, the last, the last of a, a breed that's going away. Dodge has announced that it's last call for the Challenger. Is it going to be? It sounds like it's going to be kind of hard to continue to maintain it. But are you going to try to keep it up?
1: Um, <clears throat> well, it's, yes. It's, well, as far as the car. Um, yeah we're gonna try to um keep it up as long as it's in in my still in my possession because the car we did as the family uh we did decide that we're gonna um um auction offer the car at the mecum auctions because um, that's the state that is where it's it's now um but yeah the upkeep of the car we've always upkeep it um and maintain the car in, in in good status
0: will you be sorry to see the model go away?
1: Yes, I will. Um, I will. But this will also to, you know, help out my family and give us opportunities because my dad always, you know, said if you he told me, he says, if you ever need to sell the car, he said, don't give my car away. So my dad knew it was valuable. He understood that he wanted to make sure that I knew that it was just as valuable.
0: Even though the Challenger and the Charger are being discontinued, Dodge is doing this thing where it's producing a limited number of last-call Challenger models, including one that's based on your dad's car. I was just curious, what do you think of the job they've done with it?
1: Um, I think Dodge did an excellent job with it. It's, it's a good modern representation of my dad's
0: car. Can you explain some of the details that that they included on it both to remind folks of the original version from back in the 70s and that also modernize it?
1: Yes. So they put the um, the Challenger script in the front of the grill of the new car. It's very similar to the original car. The Dodge lettering that's on the on the hood of the front of the hood of the car is there like the original. The, the car also has the, the chrome gas cap <clears throat> that's on the original car. And uh, the most important thing that makes the Ghost a Ghost is the the gator grain roof. And they simulate gator grain roof on the new cars, too. So the new car is all black with a white bumblebee stripe. And uh, it looks good. And it has the chrome wheels. So the original wheels were um, uh, black rims but with chrome uh, hubcaps. Or center caps, they're called, and uh, yeah, they did a great job, and I, I think it's a, it's, it's a good representation of, of a modern car of my dad.
0: I mean, this car is actually going to be entered into the Library of Congress's National Historic Vehicle Register. I, what would your dad have thought of that?
1: Yeah, I, my dad would have been amazed, I think, because you know. No, I don't think anybody would have known that that would ever had happened. And I, I know he's, he's very proud of that. I know he's, he's looking down at all at all of us in our family.
0: Greg, thank you so much for talking to us. The car is just such a joy to see.
1: Thank you. Um, and I'm happy that people are enjoying it and loving the story. Thank you.
0: And that's the Stateside Podcast today. I'm April Baer. You can find full Stateside episodes whenever you're ready for more listens at michiganradio.org. Today's pod was produced by April Van Buren. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Cabanzag, and Mercedes Mejia. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you around. Bye-bye.